really excited this morning at Grace Point to welcome uh, to our pulpit, I suppose that's a pulpit, all the way from Shelby, North Carolina, is that it? That's it? Yeah, big metropolis of Shelby, North Carolina, a bastion of liberalism over there in the <laughs> Smokies. Uh, Chris Kratzer is a, an incredible guy. I got to spend a good amount of time with him and his family last night. I've been following him for a long time um, through his blogs. He's just a great writer, a great thinker, uh, matriculates to our world of kind of post-evangelical progressive Christianity all the way through the ELCA, the Lutherans. Got some Lutherans in the house. Carol always is thrilled to get those people that cheese heads uh, Lutherans, but, uh, or Lutherans, as they call it. It's two syllables north of the Mason-Dixon. But um, what'd you say, Sandy? Cheeseheads. Cheeseheads, yeah. Okay, we'll talk later. Where, where's your family? Where, where's Amy? Uh, back there, uh, there, there. Would you guys? Uh, I hate to do this to you. It's so awkward. But we spent a lot of time with this family last night. Amy, Kaylin, Ashton, and Madeline. Would y'all stand up so we could tell you how glad we are you're here? Yeah, just an incredible uh, family. Chris recently uh, has made waves, good waves, grace waves, by writing a book called Leatherbound Terrorism. And I think all of us immediately can intuit what that book is about, even those that haven't read it, Leatherbound Terrorism, and all of the ways that this beautiful book called the Bible can be sabotaged and hijacked and used to do great harm. But uh, we're here because we still love that book, and books like yours, Leatherbound Terrorism, go a long way in redeeming that for a lot of folks. So I won't take up any more of your time. We're really glad to have Chris Kratzer. Would you welcome him to our Thank platform? It's uh, really super cool uh, to be with you guys. I've been a fan of Pastor Stans for many years and, um, and of course, been watching you as a church and inspired by the progressive path that you have carved out on behalf of so many people. You are an inspiration and there are people whose lives are being changed well beyond this uh, that you need to know about, people like me and others. Um, and so it's a real treat to be here. If you need a title for this message, if that helps you, uh, if you're writing things down, whatever you could call this, um, finding your bravery. And because what I really want to do is I want to talk about this divine thing called bravery that God has put within each of us, this unstoppable force deep within our being and I want to talk about what that looks like and, 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 and how do you tap into that and, and, and what's the ramifications of that? And what's the power of doing that? Because I really am convinced more and more that what the world needs now, listen, is people like you and me being brave. I really pray that this message this morning is going to encourage you. I pray it's going to challenge you. I pray it's going to breathe new life into you. Because I want to talk about bravery and what it looks like for you and what it looks like for me and how that bravery can change the world. So let's get started right off the bat, right? We're in Matthew chapter 3. I think it's up on the screen. And just to kind of give you a little bit of a backdrop of what's going on here, Jesus, okay, he's basically entering into now his adult life. So all the things that you and I have heard about what Jesus does and things like that, that's all about to go down. 
Okay, so we're only chapter three, right? And, and so Jesus has just been baptized by John. And so he's coming up out of the waters, right? And then all of a sudden, like God does this cosmic shaking thing and he shows up and he speaks out and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I'm gonna put it in writing. I'm gonna shout out to the world. This is my beloved son. He has my entire unconditional affirmation, inclusion, and acceptance, hands down. Like right at the front side, God's up in that. He's like, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And I know we're just like a few seconds into this message, but I don't want you to miss the revolutionary thing that's going on here. I mean, this, this is so incredible that God is showing up on the front side and saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Because I don't know about you, but the, the culture, the family, the world that I grew up in, the world that we live in right now, the Christian culture, the culture at large, listen, nothing good like that ever comes on the front side. Nothing really good ever really comes on the front side. If you're, if you're gonna get a great test and you're gonna get a passing test result, you, you gotta pass that test first before you get the pass sentence, don't you, right? If, if, you want, if, you, if you're going to get a good evaluation for something, you, you've got to pay your dues and you've got to do your stuff before you're going to get a good evaluation. And like what we get taught in our Christian world is this, that like, listen, if you want more of God, you're going to have to give more of yourself. If you want to have more favor and more blessings with God, then you better get ready and do some stuff, man. You better, you better learn how to do the song and dance and color in the lines and perform and press into Jesus. And then and only then, you might be able to, if you're lucky, you might be able to wrench a blessing out of God's stingy hands. And so the fact that God comes, like right in chapter three, like, like he just comes and says, listen, I'm gonna show you the bravery that on the front side, this is my boy. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I'm not waiting to the end of the story. I'm not waiting to find out if he gets it right or if he gets it wrong. I could really care less fundamentally because what's important is what I say. And what I say is this guy, he is my beloved son. He has my unconditional love, inclusion, affirmation, and acceptance. And no one can take it away from me because I say so. And my friends, that is stinking revolutionary because God right there pierces a dart through the religious spirit and the transactional culture that we live in and says, listen, forget you. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to take the end and start it at the beginning. And this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He's my beloved. He's my beloved. And I know it's revolutionary. You know why I know that this is, don't take my word for it, okay? The reason why this is revolutionary is because of the person who shows up like lickety split. What happens? The spirit of God sends Jesus into the wilderness and who's all up in his Kool-Aid? Johnny on the spot, man. He just, I mean, we don't even get a sentence into this thing and Jesus is like all up in it, right? And then Satan comes, he's like, hey, what did God say to you? And so Satan comes and he tries to get Jesus into this conversation in order to get him to question everything that he had just experienced. 
In fact, take a look at how it goes down. So here we are in Matthew 4, right? And it says, if you are the son, Satan comes up to Jesus and says, listen, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. That's like my best evil voice. (laughs) Practice it all morning. It says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Now, listen, pay attention very closely, okay? If if you're going to like take notes, circle the word if there in your mind or wherever you do that. Because that word if is a very special word in the Greek. We can't pick it up in the English. It's not, you can't see it. But if you look in the Greek, there's a depth to it. And what's deep about this word and that that word if is that it's in a special tense, which tells me that what Satan is asking Jesus is actually a rhetorical question. So if you really played it out in the Greek, what the question really should read is, Jesus, if you are the son of God, and I know that you are turn these stones to bread. Now you're asking, well, what's the big deal with that? What's so big is that we get to understand that the issue for Jesus isn't does Satan know who Jesus is? That's not the issue. Let me tell you something. The powers of evil in this world, they know exactly what pure grace looks like. The powers of evil, they know exactly what unconditional love looks like. The powers of evil in this world, they know exactly what pure truth looks like. That's not the issue. The issue is not does Satan know who Jesus is. The issue is does Jesus know who Jesus is? Because you know what? If, if, listen, if, if, if he can get Jesus to back off of it and, and not believe what God has said to him, changes everything. In fact, I find it very interesting that, that when, when God speaks of Jesus, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. When Satan goes to address Jesus, what does he say? He says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, God says, this is my beloved son, my beloved son. And Satan says, if you are the son of God, what word does Satan leave out? Beloved. Listen, folks, there's only one spiritual battle going on in your life right now, and this is it. Because whether you call him Satan or evil, whatever, doesn't, don't, the terms don't mean anything. Here it is. Evil would love nothing more than to get you to remove out of your mind, to reduce out of your mind any notion, any belief, any conviction that you are the beloved. That is the true spiritual war going on for your life right now to get you to back off and shrink. You know why? Because Satan hates the idea of you standing in your belovedness. Standing in the reality that you have been fully accepted. You are fully affirmed. You are fully included. You are fully loved unconditionally. Regardless, you are good enough as is. You are the work of God. You are the beloved. Because you know what? If he can get you to shrink back from that and question that and say, well, you know, there's got to be something wrong with me. There's got, I must be a mistake. I didn't come out of the oven fully baked. Uh, there's something about me. I need to do this and I need to do that. Listen, Satan knows if you don't stand in your belovedness, he can drag you around like a dog on a leash. He can spin you around like a breakdancer on crack. And turn your life into a religious hell of rule keeping and shame and condemnation and self-righteousness. 
You know, I find it interesting, this word evil. It's the word poneros in Greek in the New Testament. And, you know, for you and me who grew up and live in this culture that we live in, like, like when we think of evil, we think of the obvious stuff. Like you can point at it. Like, like for us, evil is like this monstrous, dark, adulterous, sweaty sex stuff, you know, just, you know, just this bloody, conniving, greeting, diabolical thing, right? That's what we think of with evil, right? But if we look underneath this word, if we get to the root of the word evil, it actually means something almost completely different. Because this word paneros in the Greek, it has a root to it. And, 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 and what we find that when we get underneath it and we look to the root, we find that, that, well, quite frankly, evil is a lot more spiritual looking than we ever probably thought. In fact, I would dare even to say that evil, evil can be a lot more Christian looking than we ever were willing to imagine. Because the underlying impulse, so like the, the, the underlying trigger of this idea of evil, the word actually means to make a name for yourself. It actually means to make a name for yourself. So, so, so this, what's at stake for Jesus, listen, what's at stake for Jesus is, is he gonna trust? Is Jesus gonna trust the name that God has given him, the beloved? Is he gonna trust it? Is he gonna stand in it? Is he gonna protect it? Is he gonna believe it? Is he gonna stand in his belovedness? Is he gonna trust the name of God? Or is he gonna buy the line and start to make a name for himself? Is it going to follow Satan's cues and say, hey, listen, hey, Jesus, listen, you, you are not beloved until I say you are. You're not affirmed, you're not included until I say you are. Listen, you, listen you, if you want to be like the beloved, listen, don't take that word. No, the word is, listen, you, you better start learning your song and dance. You better start turning those loaves to bread because until you do that, you're really not legit. You're really not, no, no, in fact, Jesus, there's something wrong with you. There's something that's incomplete. There's something that you need to do. And so guess what? You need to start following my expectations. You need to start following my timeline. You need to fit within my box because until you do that, until I see you turning stones to bread, you're not really the son of God. You know, I find it interesting, this concept of the flesh how many of you have heard that concept before, the flesh? It's a Christian concept primarily, but it's the basic idea that, that <laughs> in your life and mine, you've got a little bit of Jesus sitting here, and you've got a little bit of Satan here, and that those two people are at war with inside of you. And so when you get into the flesh, right, when you get into the flesh, then, then what you're really, you're, 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 you're appeasing that side and, and you're getting into all this lustful. You go into a donut store and you just got to have all the donuts, right? You go to buy a car and you've got to have the best car. You know, you start this, you do this. It's just this lust. It's just this licentiousness. It's just debauchery. And yet I find it so interesting that the concept of the flesh is a lot more spiritual than that. See, because really what the root is of the flesh is this. The flesh is any time you and I turn to ourselves or other people to get something that we already have from God. And see, folks, listen, here's the kicker. You want to know the gospel? 
You want to know what the real gospel is? You want to know what the real truth is? Listen, here it is. In Christ, you have everything. You are already included. You are already affirmed. You are already saved. You are already whole. You are already righteous. You are already sanctified. You can't get any closer to Jesus than you are right now. You can't get any more whole and holy than you are right now. You can't get any more saved than you are right now. You can't get any more spiritual because you have the spirit. You are a walking trinity in skin already. God doesn't wait to the backside. God says, listen, on the front side, it is finished. It is done. You, you, you are the beloved. You are the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. See, we've been told that this Christian life thing is like a test, right? The Christian life is like posed to us as this test where, where, where the, the idea is that, listen, I'm going to become something tomorrow better than I am today. And I'm going to do it through this little partnership with Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk little ladies across the street. I'm going to bury my head in the word of God. I'm not going to drink. I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm going, to, I'm going to get into an accountability partner relationship. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to pray harder. And we think, okay, if I do this with this little partnership with Jesus and, and through my striving and my trying and my abilities, I then can become a better person tomorrow for Jesus, a better person tomorrow for Jesus than I am today. And that's what we call the Christian life. And God says, every time you go out of yourself to get something from me that I already have given you, it's evil. Gosh, evil looks so much more Christian than we could ever imagine. See, because the Christian life is a rest. It's not a test, it's a rest. It's when you and I engage in the bravery to say, listen, I am the beloved. It's a rest. You say, well, then what's faith? Come on, Kratzer, what's the importance of faith then? What's faith all about? Faith is awakening to who you already are. It's resting in the fact that you are the beloved. You don't have to do a dang thing. You say, well, what's repentance? Repentance just means a change of mind. You have a change of mind. You say, listen, I am no longer going to be addicted to the religious stuff. I'm no longer going to feel like I have to fit in and, 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 and perform my way in order to get closer and have a relationship with God and keep it. No, I've had a change of mind. All is grace. I am the beloved. Some of you here today, you're an empath. You're extremely empathetic. By the way, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is that if you're sad, I appreciate you're sad. Empathy is that if you're sad, I'm sad with you. And some of you are empaths here today. God's made you an empath. And yet you live in this wilderness all around us and you hear these messages that say, listen, you just need to, be, you just need to stop being so dang emotional. You just need, listen, you, you just stop being so sensitive about everything. I mean, you walk into a room and just anything that's flowing in terms of emotion, you just, you just adopt it and you take it on as your own. You need to, listen, you need to get a backbone and just stop being so dang dramatic and emotional and sensitive stuff. Come on. 
And let me tell you something. If that's you here today, you're an empath. Listen, God just wants to sit up in your lap. She just wants to close your ears and say, listen, you got to stop listening to that crap. You got to stop listening to that junk. Listen, you are my beloved empath with whom I am well pleased. Don't you dare shrink back. Don't you dare believe that you got to conform and become something that you're not in order to be pleasing to others. You are my beloved empath. Some of you here, you're an introvert. Some of you here, the best thing that you can do is sit in front in a couch with a book for the entire day. And yet you live in this world where, where people come up to you in this wilderness and people say, listen, man, you, listen, you, you just need to come out of your shell. You, you obviously are just stuck up, man. You just don't care about people. That's why you're like who you are. You need to be more caring about people. You need to be more intro, uh, extroverted. And, and, and let me tell you something. God just comes to you today and just wants to sit up in your lap and she just wants to say, listen, don't you dare shrink back. You are my beloved introvert with whom I am well pleased. Some of you here today, you're gay. Some of you here, you're lesbian. Some of you are bisexual. Some of you are transgender. And you live in this wilderness and mostly out of religious circles, you hear this message that something is wrong with you. You're an abomination. You're disgusting. You're a sinner. You need to repent. You'll never be a Christian and be gay at the same time. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? And you need to repent. You need to get some repair to therapy. You need to change. You need to have a different heart. Not, not only is it going to be hell for you on earth, but you are going to be going straight to hell. That's the message you hear. And God, listen, God just wants to sit up in your lap today and say, so you got to stop listening to that stuff. Don't you dare shrink back from being gay. Don't you dare shrink back from being lesbian. Don't you dare doubt for one moment that you are not the beloved. I create, it's by God's grace that you are transgender. It's by God's divine handiwork and purpose. You are the revival God is bringing to this world. Don't you dare shrink back. You stand in your belovedness and you be brave. You know, there are people here, there are people here and maybe you're black, maybe you're brown, maybe you're some other color, maybe God's, Creating something new and we don't even know about it yet. And yet every day you hear this message, you're never going to be one of us. You'll always be a second-class citizen. You don't deserve equal rights. You don't deserve equal treatment. Maybe you're female. Maybe you're short. Maybe you're tall. Maybe you're large. Maybe you're small. I don't care. God doesn't either. And yet you hear these messages. Just brings tears to me. You hear these messages. Listen, you must be damn. Listen, you're a single mom. You're a divorcee. You must be damaged goods. Yeah, you obviously can't handle relationships. You've got some issues. And God just wants to sit up in your lap. Listen to me. And she just wants to speak into your heart. Don't you dare. Don't you dare shrink back. Maybe you're here and you're Muslim. Or maybe you're here and you're Jewish. Or maybe you're here and you're just undecided. You're just, you don't even know what you believe. Like one day it's one thing, the next day it's another thing. Oh gosh, that's beautiful. And yet you hear these messages from churches in different places, man. Listen, you need to land, dude. You need to figure out what you believe, man. And then when you figure out what you believe, then you can sign our membership covenant. <laughs> and then, and only then, are you one of us. Oh, we'll let you come. We'll let you come and hang out. We'll let you kick the tires a little bit. Oh, we'll take your money. We got, let's see, we got check cards, PayPal. We'll let you write it. We'll, but if, 
leadership, I'm sorry. You want to sing on the team, I'm sorry. You want to greet people at the door, I'm sorry. Because because until we can get that little signature thing there that you subscribe to what we subscribe to, it's all bets are off. See, see, even if that one rare moment where you get something good on the front side, there's always an expiration date to it, isn't there? Somebody says they love you up the front, chances are there's going to, listen, because once you break the mold in our world, all of a sudden, all that gets renegotiated, doesn't it? Some of you here, and you feel broken, and you feel like you don't have it all together, and God just wants to come up into your lap and just say, will you please just rest? You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. I want to close with a story from my own life in just a second here. And it's a powerful story. But I want to tell you this, the job of the Holy Spirit in your life, listen very carefully. The job of the Holy Spirit in your life is not to convict you of your sin. The job of the Holy Spirit in your life is not to tell you how much you stink and how much you need to understand your stinkiness. Listen, the job of the Holy Spirit in your life right now is to convince you of your righteousness. You need to stop asking permission from everybody else to be the person that God already is well pleased for you to be, and that is nothing more or less than to be you. Stop denying. Stop trying to editorialize. Stop trying to explain. Stop trying to shrink back and feel like you've got to change the beauty that is already you in order to be beautiful to somebody else. You want to know what the greatest tragedy in life is? It's to die with your stong still inside of you. That you never tapped into the bravery of heart to stand in your belovedness and be yourself without apology, without restraint in ways that honor the God who is love. Let me tell you something. You just being you, you just because you breathe is enough for God to pour out the eternal wellspring of his unconditional affirmation, inclusion, acceptance, and love into your life now and forever. But see, here's the cool thing about it. Jesus didn't just stand in his belovedness in front of Satan. He just didn't stand there and say, no, 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 dude, I ain't buying it. But that standing in belovedness went somewhere, right? It went actually all the way to the cross 
What's the cross? The cross is where Jesus stands. He hangs there in solidarity on behalf of the belovedness of all, especially the marginalized, especially the condemned, especially those who are isolated, especially those who are not treated well, especially those who are deemed to be misfits. He stands there and he says, no, no, no. See, the cross is God's megaphone that says grace is the great equalizer. None of us are better. We're only different. And guess what? Being different is beautiful. See, true equality is what the gospel looks like when it's manifested on earth. He stood in solidarity on behalf of the least of these. When I was in middle school, seven-year-old little Chris Cratcher, you think I'm small now? I was a brave kid, though. In middle school, I got suspended. Kaylin, close your ears. <laughs> Same age as her in middle school, right? Little Chris Kratzer, small, scrawny guy. And I'm in band class. Played first trumpet in the band class. And all of a sudden, this kid moved in from up north. And his name is Steve. And Steve doesn't mind me telling you this story. None of the other people that are in this story, so don't worry about it. We're all still Facebook friends. At least for now. Until they see this. Anyway, Steve came in, and he played the trumpet too. So, so he was, I was first chair trumpet, and he became second chair trumpet because I was better than him, ain't gonna lie. And, and so, but we became really good friends. Best friends, best little buddies, right? Steve had a little problem, okay? So back then in school, you had to line up at the front door of the classroom for the bell. So everybody gets lined up. Problem with Steve was that, guess what? When he lined up on the door, he had his pants like this all the time. I mean, they were like, cock God, all over the place, right? They're standing like this. And some girls, two of the flute players, they decide that they want to make fun of my new friend. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And so what I, here's what I did. Finally, I had enough. I said, Kim, Carol, listen, this is ridiculous. And I took pen to paper. And I wrote Carol and Kim a note. And let me tell you something. Every middle school cuss word that I ever knew, ever heard, your mama's like this and all that kind of stuff. Listen, I put that bad boy in writing. It was, and I gave it to him. And you know what they decided to do? Two periods later, they took that little letter up to the principal's office. And so at the end of school, the principal calls me into her office. She says, Chris, did you write this? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, that's too bad because I'm going to suspend you for three days. We can't have people like that in this, class, in this school. She called my mom. Now, remember, there's no cell phone. She called my mom. My mom comes to pick me up. She is in the office with the principal and me. And she, the principal, hey, Miss, Miss Kratzer, you need to read this. My mom's sitting there reading this with me there. She's in tears. This is my beloved son, but I am not pleased. <laughs> and she's crying. And she, you know, so she drove me home. And on the way home, she says, listen, when you get home, you're going to need to call your father because he's at work. Didn't have cell phones. Did have cars, though, however. <laughs> and I get home, and I called dad. I said, dad, listen, um, this and this happened. And he says, listen, son, listen, I can't. We're going to have to talk about this when I get home. So I get home, and I'm thinking, this is the end of the world as we know it. He comes in. He walks into the kitchen. He starts reading through the letter, right? He starts reading through this beautifully crafted letter that I had written these two girls. 
And he looked up, and over the top of his glasses, he looked at me like this says, Chris, listen, here's all I'm going to say to you. Next time, don't put it in writing. <laughs> now, listen, it gets better. It gets better. It gets better, okay? Hold up. Hold now. Hold, hold. So I'm sitting there going, that's it? you got to be kidding me. Three days. Woo! So he's walking out of the kitchen. And just as he gets right past the little doorway there, he, he kind of like turns back to me real quick and says, hey, Chris, by the way, um, where did you learn all those words and stuff? And stupid seventh grade me says, by when you and mom fight. <laughs> so my dad's message to me, don't put it in writing. From that point on, I never wrote, never wrote a thing. Fast forward 20-some years, 30-some years to about five years ago. I'd been a 21-year conservative evangelical pastor at that point. Everything that Franklin Glam is, that's who I was, believe it or not. I had no problem saying that the whole gay LGBTQIA community is going straight to hell in a handbasket. I had no problem saying Muslims are going to hell. I had no problem condemning people right and left. That was me. All the stuff you see in the world now with conservative, that was me. That was me. And then over a set of events that I get in into the book, you know, that I just came out with, go through a whole detail on that. But through a series of events, I had this like near suicidal, all kinds of stuff going on. And, and, I, and I, the long end of it is I did a complete 180 in terms of, of who I saw God as, who I saw Jesus, the Bible, and, and, and I got connected with the message of grace, and that just caused me to have to reevaluate everything, even to the point where I realized I was completely wrong about the LGBTQ stuff, everything about it, and had a complete flip, and became a completely progressive, for better words or whatever, affirming pastor, okay? Well, it was right around that time when all that change was happening for me, and I, I developed this huge burden for the LGBT community. I just had this, I'm like, I was so wrong. And I know there's a lot of other guys and girls out there that have been so wrong, and we've been duped, we've been lied to, we've been drinking the Kool-Aid. And I don't have a dog in the hunt, I don't have gay children, I don't have any gay friends, gay relatives, anything like that. It just came, it just was a matter of truth to me. It's like, this is wrong. I got it wrong. And I just developed, I, I can't explain, just this huge burden for that. And right at the same time, my pastor calls me up, Michael Haley. You know probably Josh Haley. Michael's been my pastor for a long, long time. Michael calls me up. This is like four or five years ago. He says, Chris, he says, I don't know how to tell you this, but I just wanted to tell you, I've been thinking about it. I think you're a really pretty good speaker. I mean, you're a so-so speaker. You're okay at speaking. You, you know, you're pretty good at speaking. But see, but Chris, you're a great writer. I'm like, Michael, what in the world are you talking about? He says, no, I've been reading your blog. I said, what blog? He says, no, you, don't you, you got some stuff on. I said, Michael, I write like once every six months. I don't even, I just do it because I'm bored. He says, no, Chris, this, dude, you've got to write, man. This is your thing. This is, this is what you're here on this earth for. You, you need to start writing. I took him serious because I know when Michael speaks, I need to listen. And so it wasn't very long after that that I wrote my first serious article as a tension. I mean, I had intention. I was like, okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to write this time. My, 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 my biological father said, don't write. My spiritual father said, you need to start putting this stuff in writing. 
And the first article I wrote was an article called, What If You're Wrong? A Question for Every Anti-Gay Person, Pastor, Father, Mother, and Friend. I put it on my Facebook page one time, and literally within 24 hours, that article had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people reading it, emailing me, and I've been writing ever since. And now I have a book out here, and I'm standing in front of you good people. Now, see, now why do I tell you that? The sole reason I tell you that is that writing is my area of bravery. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what area of bravery is for you, but here's, here's what I do know. Right now, God wants nothing more than you to stand in your belovedness and then to stand on behalf in your bravery on the belovedness of other people. Man, when you do that, you will start a revolution that you can't even imagine when that takes place. I see high school people out here. Let me tell you something. If you, will just, if you will just stand in your belovedness and then you will stand with other people who are told every day that there's something wrong with them. If you will stand and say, listen, that is my gay friend with whom I am well pleased and you are not gonna move me, you will change that student's life. There are people in your workplace, in your cubicle world, if you would just say, I am going to stand in my belovedness, but I'm not just going to stop there. I am actually going to stand with them in their belovedness. And that is my transgender coworker. And I don't care what you say around the quarter cooler. They are my beloved friend and I am not going anywhere. Neither is God. There are people in your life right now who you standing in your bravery, you tapping into the bravery to stand with them and their belovedness can be the difference between life and death. You know, I've never heard of a church, I've never been to a church that didn't theoretically say that they want to impact the world and change people's lives. And I'm not talking to you, Grace Point, because I know other people are going to see this. So I'm talking, about, I'm talking about church in general. And let me just say this. Listen, when, when a church gets hold of this and they become an incubator, they can become a safe place where people can realize all it is, listen, the whole Christian life is just to stand and rest in your belovedness. And then to stand with others in there. Listen, when you get hold of that, you, you can't keep people from coming in these doors. You can't keep from growing because what the world is craving for is the place and the freedom to just breathe and be themselves and know that that is beautiful and holy and enough. Folks, that's my time. Let me leave you with this. Grace is brave. Be brave. Be brave. Be brave. You, you, you as is, you are the beloved. You are the revival God is bringing to the world. Now be brave, amen?